This message is from the Axis Church, a redeemed community of missionaries living for the fame of the real Jesus. For more information about Jesus or the Axis vision in Nashville, go to theaxischurch.org. As Christians, we are called to be holy as God is holy. And if you have been reading along with us this year, uh, we're we're working through the Bible together as a church family. Uh, we've given out over 500 of those Bible reading plan cards. Uh, we're going to have uh, many, many more uh, to give out next week if you don't have these. Um, many people have printed them off. If you want details on that, you can email us. Our contacts on the back of the bulletin. Uh, we'll at least send you the link for you to print off these things. But we're reading through the Bible uh, this year together as a church family. And if you're a part of that plan, you found yourself this week in either Genesis or in Matthew, right? Uh, And so we read this idea of holiness and perfection even in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, 48, we read this earlier this week. Jesus said, you therefore must be holy. You must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, as he is holy. Now, whether you like this or not, we're called as Christians to be holy, to pursue holiness, to become in the present who we already are in the future. This is the already but not yet of our salvation. Already we have been made perfect because of Jesus and what he's done for us. We have been justified. Not yet have we been fully sanctified. So this is the the not yet part of our salvation. Already justified, not yet sanctified. And we work through this, culminating in our salvation, culminating together in our glorification one day when we're free from this life of sin and pain and sorrow and brokenness, perfectly in paradise with Jesus, free from this world of fallenness one day. Until then, we press forward day after day, seeking to become more like Jesus. Becoming more like Jesus is being sanctified, becoming like him. Now, Christians drift towards worldliness. That's our default setting. Um, If we have a cruise control, it's always set towards worldliness. It's not set towards holiness. So unless you're taking efforts and strides to to seek godly living and pursue holiness as a Christian man, as a Christian woman, you will not drift there. You won't just stumble upon winning the the Music City Marathon. You won't just show up one day and be like, I feel like winning this race today and just roll out and just dominate, right? It takes training. It takes effort. In a similar way, this is how we're to pursue holiness. You won't just arrive at godly living and holy habits as Christians, though we are called to pursue these things. We drift towards worldliness. That's where we'll arrive at, okay? That's where we'll drift without taking steps, difficult steps, sacrificial steps in obeying God in a righteous holy, godly lifestyle, okay? So in order to fight this drifting towards holiness, fighting that pursuing, I'm sorry, to fight this drift towards worldliness, pursuing holiness, it is an intentional effort. 
okay? No one's gonna drift there effortlessly. You won't arrive at soul health without an intentional effort and pursuit. It's uphill. This is the Christian life. And I know that often Christians will think and say, myself included, well, if we can't be perfect, then what's the point? And then there's no effort at all put towards pursuing Jesus and pursuing it, uh, pursuing the Christian life to become more like Jesus. Since I can't do that, then why even try? And we drift back to our old ways, living as if we haven't been born again. And so I, I hope that this morning is... It serves us in, in a couple ways. One, that you be encouraged and, and, and pick up your gloves. And that you, that you keep fighting in some way. I'm not talking about holiness being this uh, a thing that we can arrive at where we're just knocking stuff out. Just, you know, effortlessly. Yeah, you know, victory. Yeah, let's keep going. My effort, understanding how difficult the Christian life is personally, is, is today to call us individually as Christians, corporately as a church, just to, just to pull your gloves up. As I was uh, sharing with one of my friends earlier this, this week from the Axis, telling him, man, just keep swinging. Just keep swinging, man. Just, you you got to keep fighting. You, you got you to stand in the batter's box and just keep swinging. I'm not asking you to hit home runs. I'm not asking you to bat 1,000. I'm not asking you to bat 300. I'm just asking you to keep swinging. Keep your gloves up. That's what I hope this morning serves us as, is a motivation just to stay in the fight and continue going, but also to serve as a caution to dropping the gloves and being careless with our pursuit of holiness careless with our pursuit of, of godliness as Christians. So, so be careful here and, and hear what John says in 1 John chapter 3, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. That's pretty strong. That's in, that's in our Bibles. This, of course, is speaking of a habitual lifestyle of sin. Without remorse, without repentance, without confession, without forgiveness, without any fault to it whatsoever, making a habit of sin and being comfortable there. That can't be for Christians. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil's been sinning from the beginning. The reason Christmas happened, the reason God came to earth, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. No one. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him. There's something in him. His spirit is in him and he cannot keep sinning because he's been born of God. So there's, there's something, the spirit of God, the seed of God in our hearts as Christians, it's inside of us that can only take so much of practicing sin, of, of habitual sinning before she crumbles, before he crumbles under the weight of the burden of that sin where that Christian who's been so overwhelmed by this sin just crumbles pleading for mercy and grace and repentance. Those who aren't Christians don't understand what that's like. Usually those who aren't Christians will plead for mercy and grace when they've broken the law, governmental law, and they get caught 
They plead for mercy because they get caught with doing something illegal. But for the Christian, it shouldn't get to that place. We should be experiencing conviction, not over just these huge things, but even small things, motive things, fault things that we just can't continue to live in. These, these actions, activities, thoughts, ideas, we, we're not comfortable there. Something is restless in us until we repent, until we confess, until we seek forgiveness one from another. That's what it means to be Christian, is you have this built in. The Spirit of God is in you. Romans 12 speaks of this a bit. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And don't be conformed with this world. And this is a call to be different, a call to be holy, a call to be set apart, a, um, a call to be godly, to be godlike, to be Christ-like. Don't, don't look the same as the fallen world, as those who do not have the seed of God in their heart. Don't look like them. Don't conform yourself to them, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And part of this renewing of the mind that takes place in the, in the heart of the Christian, the believer in Christ, is, is allowing the truth of Scripture to be the the foundation on which they think from, the worldview that they have. It is the Christian community. Part of, the, part of renewing your mind is, is dwelling with believers and processing the truths of the gospel together, confessing your sin one to another, outdoing one another and showing honor. The one another's of the New Testament takes the Christian community. Prayer is part of renewing your mind and not setting your mind on things that are of this world. Part of that is, all that is working to transform your mind to be different, to be holy, to be set apart and godly. And I know there's, man, there's such hyper grace, it seems like these days, where it gets uncomfortable even when you talk about the call to be holy, the call to be godly. It's like they, they classify you as like an, a, a, a super conservative. If you talk about holiness and godliness, and this can't be. We, we can't be a church that, that drifts to taking grace for granted and no longer embracing what is our responsibility of becoming more like Jesus every day, of sinning less today. And we did this time two months ago. The motivation to pursue this holiness is key. It's the difference between Christianity and religion and just overall religion. Moralism, legalism, do these things, stay away from those things type of stuff. The difference is motivation. The difference is motivation. So the motivation to want to pursue godliness, to pursue Christ-likeness, to pursue holiness comes from understanding more and more the gospel. The, the finished work of Jesus for us, understanding what Christ has accomplished for us, understanding what he has done for us, more and more provides the motive to pursue holiness and godliness. As, as we think through understanding 
more and more of who we are before God right now. How he sees us through the blood of his son. He sees us as perfect because of what Christ has accomplished. Jesus lived as our representative. He died as our substitute. He conquered death for us, granting us life eternal with his father, a co-heir with him of all the yes and amens that are in the Bible. Jesus has secured this for us. Therefore, we now get to become in the present who we already are in eternity future. We get to honor the one who has so loved us by seeking to become like him and treating others as he has treated us. The motive for obeying God and pursuing holiness and godliness is not to try to get God to like us. You don't pursue holiness to get God to cool off, to kind of give you some space to show him that you're serious so that whenever you ask him for something, he might really listen this time. That's not why you pursue godliness and holiness. It's an incorrect view of who God is and what Christ has accomplished for you, my friend. That's a burden that you shouldn't carry in the Christian life. And it's wrong, just wrong. You pursue God because God has already pursued you. You want to become more like God because he's already made you like his son. And there's nothing you can do to mess that up which frees us to live the Christian life. It frees us to swing away. We might get a hit, we might not. But there's joy in pursuing him because of what he's done for us. There's no drifting to despair because, oh, God's going God's to be mad at me this time. I really messed up today. Oh, I didn't read my Bible. I'm cursed now. No, that's not the Christian life, my friends. You live because it's been secured. It's been fixed by Christ. It is secure. Your identity in Christ serves as the motive to pursue him more and more each day. This is biblical Christianity. So a poor motivation would be comparison, trying to outdo the other guy, or guilt, or shame, or regret, or some sort of uh, Christian karma right? Poor motivations. The proper motivation is because I've been saved, I get to live for the one that has rescued me. That's the proper motivation. Consider Romans chapter 6 in regards to motivation. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions, desires, don't present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Present yourselves to God as though you've been saved. Present yourselves to God as though you have been brought from life to death. You don't present your members for obedience. You don't present your body in holiness and godly living in order to get God to save you. He's saying, do these things as if this has already happened because you've already been brought from death to life. You're not pursuing this Christian living to get God to save you. You're doing these things because you've been saved. Present your members to God as instruments for righteousness, for sin will no, have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. 
And then he continues in verse 17, but thanks be to God, to you who were once slaves of sin, now you've become obedient from the heart. Only the gospel could allow us to obey from the heart, not from fear. Obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching that you were committed to which you were committed and having been set free from sin. And if you are a slave, it's a slave to righteousness. So the Bible teaches that as the human mind is renewed and the human heart grows in its understanding of the gospel, that they will more and more seek to honor God by pursuing him faithfully, looking more and more like the Savior who rescued them and redeemed them. So we pursue Jesus because we've been saved and changed and redeemed and shown favor. We don't live the Christian life to get God to show us favor. It may seem like I'm beating a dead horse. But your eternity matters. And there's a big difference between Christian religion and true Christianity. And a key distinction is often there in the motive of why you do the things you do. Sure, you're busy with Christian stuff. Sure, you're reading the Bible all the time. Sure, you're praying all the time. Wonderful, but why? Do you obey because you're afraid that God's going to really get upset with you if you don't? That's not Christianity. Are you, are you doing it because you want to impress God and show him that you're really serious? Jesus impressed. Jesus helps you become impressive before God. That's not your role. You see, motive makes a difference. Motive makes a big difference, an eternal difference. We don't live the Christian life to get God to respond to us. We respond to his activity already in us. Pursuing holiness and godliness in the Christian life has to do with our spiritual growth, maturity, our spiritual development. It has to do with us growing up in a lot of ways. It has to do with how we take responsibility for stuff. If you've been reading with us through the plan of, of so far Genesis and Matthew, you read how Jesus says that our yes must be yes and our no must be no. Remember he said like, you don't have to swear on this and swear on that. Just live a life of integrity. Your yes is good enough. Your no is sufficient. Integrity. That has to do with your holiness and godliness is having a life of integrity to where your yes matters. Your yes is your signature. Your no is your signature. Your life is, is full of integrity because of this godliness and holiness that you're pursuing. Godliness and holiness in the Christian life has to do with how you spend your time. Like what you're, in, like what you're spending and investing yourself into. What are you committed to? Pursuing holiness and godliness has to do with how you respond to others. Is there a marked kindness and grace as you interact with other people? Is there an identifiable patience that you have with others? Is there generosity that seems to be prevalent around your life? Is there a humility, 
a tenderness towards others there. Practicing the spiritual disciplines of the Christian life has to do with your holiness and godliness. And I commend this book to you by uh, Jerry Bridges, The Discipline of Grace. It's a fantastic book. If for nothing else, just the first four chapters, I, I affectionately refer to Jerry Bridges as my homeboy. Um, he is my favorite author. And uh, I think that you would love this book. So if you're interested, check out The Discipline of Grace. Part of the spiritual disciplines of the Christian life that he talks about, and he, he references motive a lot as well, but it's the, it's the regular consistent scripture, the, the Bible intake. It's um, taking portions of scripture and memorizing them. It's, it is prayer. It's meditation. It's fasting uh, of, of removing certain things from your life that it's so helpful as a way of bringing a lot of focus to your soul as you pursue God in a, in a certain way, fasting. Practically, as you pursue holiness and godliness, the idea is that you sin less this time today than you did last year, at least in different ways. You grow up and move beyond certain sins to where you obey more this year than you did last year growing up spiritually, pursuing godliness, pursuing holiness. It's where there's a certain sharpness that comes to your sin radar, where uh, in, instead of like, you know, getting caught with pornography or an affair, adultery, or stealing and, and getting fired, like these cataclysmic blips on your radars, yeah, those are easy to identify. Usually the law helps step in in some way when those things happen, Right? Usually cops show up and boss shows up and it gets, it's publicly, it's a nightmare. But what about the things that people don't see? You see, as we pursue godliness and holiness, that radar is able to get clarified more. And there's, there's conviction over things that, that are smaller to the public eye, even to the place of your thoughts towards someone else. This first hit me a few years back when a pastor friend of mine who's in his 60s, he called me up one day and he's like, Jeremy, I'm really sorry. I, I have to confess something to you and I ask that you forgive me. I'm like, man, what in the world are you? Yeah, brother, what is it? You know, he's like, man, I assumed something of you that wasn't true. And I, I feel terrible about that. When you mentioned this and this about preaching, I know what you meant now, but at the moment, I didn't get it, and, and I'm sorry. I'm like, wow, if that is the bar for like repenting and confessing and seeking forgiveness, I've got a lot of phone calls to make today, <laughs> right? It's like, holy cow, wow honking at somebody, pull over me. I need to confess. Like, I didn't like it when you pulled out in front of me there. And <laughs> you slowed me down, but now I really slowed down because I made you pull over. And Sorry. <clears throat> you see, I hope I'm that way. I want to be that sensitive to sin in my heart. And when you sit back and think, I mean, isn't that what Christians want is to be able to 
confess and repent and seek forgiveness, not over cataclysmic, illegal things. Yes, those, but much more where we're growing in holiness and godliness to where those things bother us. We can't just continue as normal, that there's a sharpening to the sin radar that even those little things pop up. We're like, man, I can't, I can't, I, I can't, I can't do anything the rest of the day. I have to, I have to make this right. That's a look into what holiness, I think, looks like, practically. First John chapter 2 says, do not love the world. Don't love the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, and again, that's where we drift, worldliness, the love of the Father is not in him. Be careful. For all that's in this world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, all this is not from the Father. It's from the world. And remember, the world's passing away along with all those desires that you're placing your hope in and spending your time with. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. 1 Peter 2 tells us, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Urge you to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. I've got this little struggle. No, it's a war. I've got this thing I'm working through. It's sin. It's a war. Part of our struggle to pursue God in holiness, in obedience, in godliness is calling sin what it is. It's not just something you're working through. On one hand, it is. On another hand, it is a war that's raging. And our gloves are down. And we blink and it's been three years we're in this same lifestyle. The scriptures we've, we've read today should rattle our eternal cage. It should wake us up and call us to attention, saying, God, search me and know me. See if there be any wicked way in me and allow me to walk in the everlasting way. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Eternity is a long time. Think on these things. There's a war raging. Put it down. Move on. Confess it. Bring it to the light and have fellowship. First John 1. Pursue holiness and godliness, my friends. It's not just a little something. It's war. Paul helps us out so much here with all of this here in Colossians 3 as I'm wrapping up. Listen to this. Chapter 3 of Colossians. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things of this earth, not on the things of this world. Remember, you have died. 
and your life is hidden with Christ in God. I love what Lecrae tweeted earlier this week. He's a hip hop artist. He said this, he said, every morning I attend a funeral and it's my own. I've died and my life is Christ. The struggle with holiness and godliness is often that we try to do CPR on the flesh. As Christians, we try to bring life to the sin habits of who we were before we were born again in Christ and we claim grace. Be careful. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things of the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly among you. Put it to death because there's a war. It's not something you're working through. Put it to death. Sexual immorality. It's not a game. That flirting with that girl, it's, it's not a game. The emotional affair with that guy, it's not a game. It's a war. Put it to death. Impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, envy, jealousy, put it to death. This is idolatry. Put it to death. Well, it's not that big of a deal. On account of those very things, the wrath of God is coming. It's a big deal. In these you once walked when you were living in them. But now you are a Christian. Now you put them away. Anger, wrath, hate, malice, disrespect, slander, chirping, gossiping. I don't know. All I heard was obscene talk. It's not just a joke. Don't lie to one another. Seeing that you've put off your old self with its practices. Stop doing CPR on it. You've put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Put those things away. That's not who you are anymore. Christian, I'm talking to you. It's not who you are anymore. Grow up. Mature. Seek holiness and godliness. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. He's giving you identity here. Compassionate hearts. Kindness. Humility. Meekness. Patience. And whatever you do, in word, in deed, in action, whatever, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's what we're to pray for. This is what we're to seek after. This is what we're to strive for. And do not wait for this to become easy. Don't wait for the Christian life to be easy. 
living the Christian life, pursuing holiness and godliness in the Christian life is one of the hardest things that you're gonna do for the rest of your life until your last breath. You don't resign from holiness and godliness as a Christian. You don't retire from that. It's your life and you're free from it when you're in the presence of God Almighty. Until then, you pursue godliness, you pursue holiness, and you're not waiting for it to be easy. There's a reason he said the road is narrow. There's a reason he said there's few on that road. We think it's the Audubon. We think it's a 12-lane interstate. It's a hard path and it's uphill. With few friends and very little comfort. That's the Christian life. It's always been the way. Don't wait for it to be easy before you get in. It won't be. And if it is easy, check and see if you're really on the right path. Don't make it more difficult by living without the Bible, without the Christian community, and without prayer. It's already as difficult as what anyone can imagine. As for you, O man of God, woman of God, flee these things. In context of 1 Timothy 6, he's talking about pursuing wealth and fame. Flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith and take hold of the eternal life to which you're called. Here's, there's a tension here, right, in pursuing godliness and holiness when we're already saved. Everything's already secure. There's a tension between God's sovereignty and our responsibility. There's a tension in how do I obey with the right motive in pursuing the, the Christian life if everything's already taken care of. And I'm not going to stand up here and tell you I know how, how that works. I don't. But I know the Bible teaches both that we are saved and perfect and that we're to be pursuing godliness and holiness like our life depended upon it. So hold both. Be careful only holding one. But I don't want you to leave today thinking, well, I've got five things I gotta start doing more of now. Gotta buy that blue book, Jerry Bridges, whatever. Gotta, gotta read my Bible, gotta pray, gotta be randomly kind, whatever that means. I've gotta, like, like, that's Christian religion in and of itself. Those things are good, but why are you doing those things? Motive. I'll end with this, and I hope this helps. As a parent, some of you all may have heard me say this privately and publicly, but as a parent, um, I, I believe in disciplining my kids. Um, I believe in using a lot of words when I discipline my kids. Not just out of rage, throwing out a punishment, consequences, moving on and forgetting about them, and they get to pit back up their iPhone or device and think, oh, dad didn't really mean all that. 
but words. A lot of, I use a lot of words. And we, yes, we discipline our kids. I would love to talk more about that later. I, I, I hate parenting, but I love parenting, you know? Um, and I love to encourage parents. But one, one of the things that when we discipline our kids that uh, we do often, not all the time, but often um, we'll have a conversation that's a gospel conversation, even though they might not realize it in the moment, but I'm trying to set for them a course of how to understand God and motive in the Christian life. So Elsie Grace, for instance, she's five, um, cutest girl in the world, if you're wondering, if you've seen her, it's her. And um, I'll punish her, I'll drop to a knee, and I'll say, um, Elsie, who am I? Your daddy. Who are you? She said, I'm Elsie Grace. Yeah. Elsie Grace, how does daddy feel about you? Good. Yeah. You love me. You bet I do. Almost every time. That's happened with JJ, Bethany, Caleb, and Elsie Grace. Every time this conversation happens right there, regardless of how disappointed I might be over what they just did, I cry. Because in that moment, there's that strange tension of, I feel like I'm harming my kid. I don't, I don't like to discipline my kid. And for them to see that I love them in that moment, I, I, it's a tension that just, it breaks my heart. I don't, I don't know how to handle all the emotions personally. I'm like, yeah, you bet. You bet I love you. Man. Elsie Grace, what should my love for you make you want to do? And I've fed them these lines and they've memorized them over the years, but it's important nonetheless. She said, it should make me listen and obey. I said, that's right. I said, because I don't want you to obey because you're afraid. I don't want you to obey because you're going to get in trouble if you don't. I want you to obey because you trust me, because you know I love you. And then we pray and we ask for the Holy Spirit to help us obey more and to, to be more obedient before him and, and help her obey me and help me obey Jesus. And we pray, pray a lot for the Holy Spirit to help us. In the same way, my friends, I want to look at you today and say, don't leave this room today and obey because you're afraid of getting caught if you don't. Don't go obey because of fear. Don't go obey because of comparison. Obey because of how much Jesus has loved you. He loves you. And you get to obey and become like him. Motive is the difference, my friends. Motive. Yes, obey. Yes, pursue holiness and godliness. But do it in response to him. Motivation is key. Thanks for letting me share my heart with you today. Now, Christians gathering with us today, we get to focus our hearts and, and our, our minds on the gospel in communion. We're going to be able to remind our hearts and even renew our minds in a certain way here together as we share in the Lord's table. It's a, 
There's a visual aid that we get to taste, experience, see together as a reminder of what Christ has done for us. This, even this, helps renew our minds as Christians. Remind yourself through communion today that the heavy lifting has been finished, that Jesus has accomplished the heavy lifting for you. Tell yourself that as you take the bread and dip it into the juice or wine. Tell yourself that Jesus has done the heavy lifting. It is finished and accomplished. Ask God to work in your heart more, teaching you to care more about pursuing him. And if you're a Christian, like I mentioned at the beginning in my prayer, as one hanging from a thread, and you feel like just totally cashing out and, and walking away, I would, I would ask that you tell God that. That you share with him your lack of concern on living the Christian life. Tell him that a thread would be thick for what you're hanging from right now. Ask him for help. Tell him your angst and frustration with trying to live the Christian life over the years. Tell him. Tell him these things. That's part of what prayer is. Ask him to give you strength and courage to continue to put your gloves up and maybe, just maybe have enough strength to throw a punch every now and then. But just to keep your, your gloves up, ask him for the courage and the obedience to hold your gloves up. Ask him to be your strength. Ask him to be able to practically rely on his presence and power and spirit to live the Christian life instead of just your fantastic white-knuckling of moralism and legalism. Ask him to teach you what it looks like to obey in spirit and in truth. And for those who aren't Christians, during this time, I ask that you call out to God and ask him to guide your heart towards him, to open your heart and life to who he is and what he has for you. Ask him. Ask him to save you, my friends. Jesus, thank you for your presence and your help today. Lord, I ask that you add your special blessing to our time of communion as we remind ourselves of your truth, of the gospel, of what's been accomplished for us. Lord, I ask that you do grant to us the courage and strength and power and resolve to live the Christian life. Lord, give us hungry hearts for holiness and give us grit to live godly lives. Lord, help us not wait for it to be convenient or easy. Help us just know that it's going to be difficult. But Lord, you said that you're with us, that you're indwelling us, that you're empowering us, that you're enabling us so we, we can, through your power, do what it is that you have prepared beforehand that we should do. God, help us become obedient from the heart in pursuing you in holiness and godliness. God, help us. Allow us to be able to live the Christian life with joy. Great difficulty, but with joy, knowing that one day we will be with you forever and ever. 
without any of this mess. Lord, help us set our minds on things that are above, not on things that are of the earth. Help us. We drift to thinking so heavily here. We forget that we're ambassadors here. We forget that we're resident aliens. We forget that we're strangers. Help us remember where home is. Set us apart. Make us faithful missionaries of this, this gospel. Bring courage and strength to your people today in Christ's name. Amen.